Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, hey, welcome to another Playboys. Hello there. Hello there. We're doing an inspector calls, JV Priestley. Uh, this is my all-time favorite play. So <laughs> it is an awesome play. I, I would I thought this would be a Woodhousian play, by the way. Dean, I, I didn't know it was gonna be so um so serious, but it's an it's a really yeah. good play. It has that similar vibe, like here's a bunch of posh English people having a dinner party, and you kind of think, oh, okay, it's yes. going to be like a lighthearted, you know, silly affair, uh, like a pastiche, but it's not. <laughs> no, my God, it's it's so deep. It's wow. heavy. But do you want to just tell me, because um, I read afterwards that this is a typical play that you would study if for GSE exams? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Written, that's, I did it for my GCSE English list, okay, okay. Um, and that's, that's where okay. I know it from. But that was the only time I read it. So that was 14 years ago. Right. Now, I did wow, okay, see it okay. performed in the Grand Opera House, you know, I don't know, eight years ago, something like that. And the performance was very good. Um, and then I wow. forgot all about it, you know. Wow, okay. Well, this is a fantastic play. And it was written, well, I find the dates a bit interesting, first of all. So it was written in one week in 1945. And wow. I'm very I'm very impressed they wrote it in one week. He couldn't publish it. In, he couldn't perform it in the UK because it was too soon. He just wanted to perform it immediately. It was immediately after the Second World War. So it was performed in the Soviet Union before mm. it was performed in England, I think, a year later. But it's not set in 1945. It's set just before this First World War. Yeah, 1912. In 1912, April 1912. Wow, okay. So... Do you want to? So, what's so good about this play? So, where, where, where should we even start? Well, I suppose just as a as a dirty call me, you know, I I loved this because it get, it, it takes a swing at the capitalists, you know, and yeah, that is yeah. the crux of the play, really. Like that's the main thing for me. But it's moralizing as well. It's teaching you to be a better person, you know. And yes. but at the same time, it's kind of teaching you that the bad people are, are the capitalists, I guess. Indeed. And very importantly, we'll get into that in a second. It's not just teaching that it's one single person that's evil. It's just everyone acting in a capital way contributes to a greater evil. So everyone everyone is the merger collectively, yes. not individually. And no well, no one, you know, no one this is an, an inspector investigating a murder, but like, you know, no one took a knife and killed someone. No one put arsenic in the, yeah, in yeah, the yeah. coffee or whatever. It's just the collective yeah. capitalist actions and the greed that caused the death. You know, I love it. Yeah. I love that too. Yeah. And I love the way it unfolds. So I particularly want to be careful about spoilers here. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, but we're, we're expecting you have to read, you have read the play, but I'm very glad that you didn't tell me anything, Dean, because you usually do tell me a bit, but you really <laughs> didn't this time as important. Um, so it's set on April the 5th, 1912, 
in a single night, three acts, but taking place in a single night. And I just want to mention, as a side note, this is during the time the Titanic was um, crossing the ocean. Am I right yeah, about Yeah, it would be. And that's important fact, though. There are two important things. This is just before this uh, First World War, and this is just before the Titanic uh, sinks. So we, as a viewer, already know that these things will unfold, whereas mm-hmm. it's mentioned several in the Times. This family is very ignorant. They don't believe the Titanic will sink. They don't believe the First World War will ever happen. It's just... You know, it's just propaganda. Yeah. So that's just, so that tells us a bit about the the Burling family, right? And the it does. I'll, I will list the characters in a moment, but just real quick, I should say um, it's got three acts, but they all take place continuously. Like the curtain drops. Yeah, and yeah. It's one. It's actually one long scene. Like they're just in their in yes. their dining room. Really, there's there's no real change on on the set, which is very, makes it very simple to perform. The only trick and is. It's very, the lighting gets yeah. harsher when the inspector arrives. That's yeah, the only that... trick. And I like the way JB Priestley he um, does give very technical instructions between the between um, you know between the mm. lines, whereas other playwrights, especially Oscar Wilde, would just be more flamboyant. Oscar Wilde, I, I find very amusing because he just adds stuff like he's th- you know someone says something and then it's like he is obviously thinking about the flowers his mother put up <laughs> in, in, two years ago. That, but here's is really technical, and it's clear from the beginning. As soon as the inspector uh, calls, the warm pink light and becomes steadily harsher. Yeah. So like really, like, like this romantic again, romanticism, realism. This romantic, we've made ourselves a pretty place becomes, you know, clinicized, and mm-hmm. we're gonna. So What's I'm up? gonna do the dramatis personae because it's it's very straightforward. Arthur Burling, capitalist man, his wife Sybil his son Eric, his daughter Sheila, her fiancé Gerald Croft, and then they have a maid called Edna. So that's the family setting, and into the setting comes Inspector Ghoul. And that's it. That's literally the entire cast. Very simple. And just as a little side fact, it's uh, set in North England, where Priestley grew up in. So this is the kind of setting that he would grow up in, and he mentioned he became famous in his, as a novelist. Uh, writing about North England. Mm-hmm. Anyway, it's a little side fact. So the backdrop is that Sheila and Gerald have got engaged and they're having a little party and you know Edna brings in... The, so the opening line is giving us the port, Edna. That's right. And Arthur's kind of pleased that like, okay, the maid's bringing in some port. We're going to have a little celebration because of this engagement. So that's that sets the scene straight away. Did, uh, what were your sure. thoughts on the opening sort of few lines? Like, did you feel anything was going to go wrong? Or what did you think? Um, yes, just by the title, Inspector Colts. But I lit, I did think, as I said, it was going to be more with a house, and I thought this would be a bit camp, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Um, so I wasn't, exp- I thought it would just be, okay, Inspector Colts, and then it's like stereotypical characters maybe appearing and trying to solve a mystery yeah. and who, who done it, but it wasn't at all like this. Not a who done it, as you said, no one really killed someone or anything. They're not, no one is bad. This is what I like about this. Is a very, this is a very typical Western dualism, you know, someone mm-hmm. is good, someone is bad. This is more vague. This is more Eastern, I find. I like yeah. that approach. It's more about collecting. something was wrong almost immediately. Um, but right, right. very, very subtle because they say, oh, we've, we've got together, finally. Yeah. And it's kind of like, well, what do you mean, finally? It's like, well, there was. Uh, and he yes. says, well, I've been trying long enough to get you, haven't I? And she's like, well, I don't know. There was those few months where you kind of disappeared for the summer. And yes, you're right. there's that little seed of like, okay, maybe things weren't 
perfect, you know? Just that little hint. Yeah. And of course, Gerald says he's working all that time and, and he couldn't see her for the summer. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay, that's a good point, yeah. Um, and in fact, you know, I suppose the first line, give us the port, Edna, already implies like, you know, they need alcohol to try to hide the facts. That's more so, I would say. Yes, but, that's very subtle, but I think that's true now that you mention it. <laughs> yeah, I think so, yeah. And there's a lot of drinking, a lot of excessiveness, and but tension in between as well, right? Um, so it's like, you know, Shayla is mocking aggressiveness, says, go on, Gerald, you, you, just you object, and stuff like that, yeah. Because I'm just look, looking here at the play, between the brackets, reproachfully, was mocking aggressiveness, half serious, half playful. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of indications. There's a lot of instructions for actors in this play, which is very helpful. Yeah, well, there's a lot of little bits of direction on how they should act, because I think it matters. You know, I think it's important yeah, but how they portray. I don't, re- I don't see that often in play, so it's very, te- it's very mm-hmm. good to read that. Um, so, first of all, apart from the inspector, obviously, who's your favorite? Okay, I've got to say, um, well, at the beginning, I didn't like Shayla at all, but I, I got to like her at the end a lot. And to be honest, I had a lot of, I got to like Eric a lot at the end, but I didn't really like anyone at the beginning. So, mm. I, I really, because I for liked, me, they were all just yeah, kind yeah, of. Yeah, I liked Eric, but I went off him for obvious reasons. <laughs> so I think Sheila. Yes. You know. I went off him as well for obvious reasons, but I find we talk about the end, how they develop right at the end of the play. I find, yeah, okay, this is more human. Yeah. Whereas the elder ones, they were just oh, really annoying. Yeah, they were. So, I mean, Mr. Burling, all he cares about is money, right? And all he cares about yeah. is that he might get on the owner's list. And that's the whole crux. He's like, I might get on the owner's list. I might get made a sir. You know, that's, that's what's important. Because he, he's not a real aristocrat. He has made money. His wife is actually above him in station, it clearly states. That's what you it know? states right at the beginning of the play, exactly. So he's trying, he wants this honors list thing. He wants to be worthy of his own wife almost. And she's very haughty the whole time, you know. And she's speaking down to everyone. She's not having any any nonsense from the inspector, from anyone. You know, she's very mm. cold and, and that's just her her manner, this aristocratic kind of woman. And but they're having this little party, and, and Burling mentions that he, of course, is gonna be on the the honors list. There's little jokes here and there but you know and i might be skipping ahead slightly but it's not crucial little jokes about eric uh, he's a little bit shy yeah. sometimes a bit more assertive at times and there's jokes about he wants the port and they kind of the family of this illusion that eric doesn't really drink a lot and sheila knows that he actually is a bit of a drunkard <laughs> yeah exactly yeah that's interesting so it begins like that they're just having they're engaged at last sheila and uh, gerald and they're just celebrating that. And Mr. Burling, Arthur Burling, the father, is just giving them all some good advice. It's not very... It's not good, good advice. Like <laughs> no, it's, 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 just, it's just... Yeah, exactly. So it's just the first... The first uh, fifth or the first sixth of the play is just um, kind of like getting to know them and realizing especially that Arthur Burling is a bit of a pretentious, you know, no yeah. good. Well, I think it's beautifully done, though, because the last thing before the doorbell rings is this advice where he says, don't listen to all this nonsense now with these quacks talking about, you know, helping other people and community and all of this. A man's got to look after himself and his family, you know. And of course, he's going to be proved the whole the rest of the play is proving that that was not sound advice, essentially. Yeah, indeed. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's very the it's very much the Adam Smith approach, uh, which is interesting because 
a character mentioned later on is Eva Smith. But the Adam Smith approach is that as long as every capitalist looks out for himself and makes himself a richer man, he it will benefit indirectly society. But you know, this was believe it. This is <laughs> yeah, but this is what capitalism was before Marxism. So basically, it was well, I'm doing a good service because I am earning a lot of money as one single man and making the country richer. Thus, that was the yeah, idea. Yeah. So Arthur Burning, and that's a very UK uh, point of view. It is. Uh, being Adam Smith. So this is the this is capitalism represented, and the wife and the kids spoiled. One is being a drunkard. One is a drunkard. And Sibo is basically spoiled. She's always, <laughs> and her being her spoiled nature causes, you know, tragedy. As Some tragedy, yeah. So the, yeah. the doorbell rings and Edna says the famous line, please, sir, an inspector's called. And that's our title of the play, basically, an inspector calls. Mm. And mm. Burling immediately, oh, it must be something about, and he constantly reminds them, you know, it must be something, you know, some kind of business, something about a warrant. I, I was a mayor two years ago. I'm still on the, uh, I'm still on the honor the, the bench, and he he reminds the inspector about three times of this, you know, and even at the very end, yeah, yeah. and this is not a spoiler, but even at the very end when it's all kind of over, he says that inspector he must have known I was uh, still on the bench and I used to be the mayor, and it's like yeah he knew because you told him four times. <laughs> well, I suppose he's some kind of comic relief uh, in in some sense as well, um, and you know the inspector is interesting physically as well. So it, it says here the inspector needs not to be a big man. But he creates at once an impression of massiveness, solidity, and purposefulness. Yeah. So when I saw this um, performed, they didn't use a particularly big person or anything like that. Um, but he's he he's commanding, it. and you know, when he walks in for the rest of the play, he is controlling the stage. You know. Was that what happened when you saw the play as well? Yeah. Yeah. Essentially, he 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 becomes yeah. the man. I suppose that's the that's really the key point. If you don't do that, so you really you're going to act big, even if you're one one um you know two feet tall or something like that yeah yeah so let's explain what's actually happened for the the viewers who the listeners who just can't um wait he says that someone has gone to the infirmary eva smith she's dead she drank some not poison disinfectant she drank some disinfectant burnt out her insides and and died horribly and initially no one really shows any kind of sympathy they're just like well okay why here like why does that affect us and yeah. and you know he's i don't know any eva smith you know and eventually it turns out well he shows her a photo do you know an eva smith and of course burling then realizes oh she used to work for me but i sacked her two years ago so like what's that got to do with anything yeah exactly yeah well um someone does express uh, emotion that's eric eric involuntarily my god he screams and i find that curious because he's drunk so i'm wondering if the other characters mm. um are also having that wall there is there, Shayla mentions the wall, and he doesn't have a wall. He he's really the most broken character of all, and we see why at the end because, yeah. It's awesome. yeah. And this is why I um, liked Eric in the beginning because he is the only one that shows those little bits of pity, you know. Yeah, but because he doesn't have a wall as well, right? So I mean, uh, is it really such a strength of character? Because if he weren't drunk, he'd just be as pretentious, maybe, as his mm-hmm. parents and sister. It could be. So, yeah. the whole play is about a chain of events, essentially. But the first yeah. event is that the father sacked her. The reasons aren't super important, but to give you the 10-second summary, there was a bit of a strike over pay. And instead of raising her pay by two shillings, which is nothing, uh, he sat, you know, they all went on strike and he let everybody come back in, apart from like, the four ringleaders. And she was one of the kind of top four. So she gets sacked. 
and gets kicked out and that's it but the way they talk about these people throughout the whole play they talk about all oh, this kind of people you know these poor people like you know goodness yeah. knows what they get up to you know and it's like well you, you just you just cost her her job and now she's got nowhere to go and it's like ah well that's that's always happening with those kind of people like just no there's no sympathy at all <laughs> Uh, yeah, exactly. And the inspector does show the father a photo. Very important fact is that he makes sure that only the father sees the photo. And subsequently, he only makes sure that individuals see the photo of the of Eva. He's yeah. got several names as well, which is confusing. So she changes her name twice. He, he says that he prefers to deal with one person in one line of inquiry at a time, which is true. He takes them one by one. So he shows them the photo yeah. when it's their turn. Um, but he also mentions that she changes her name. She's Daisy Renton. And, and I think she has another one at one point, but she, she changes a little bit. Um, hmm. In the end, Burling kind of feels like, oh, well, I'm, I guess I'm sorry that someone I knew is dead, but that still doesn't really affect me. Like he doesn't really, you know, so step one, he hasn't really learned anything. You know, he's just like, well, whatever. Yeah, and it's all about effect and causation, isn't it? Like, if I do this, it, like, it's just very simply, if I smile at someone, maybe that person feels better and, you know, comes back and home and yeah. smiles at, at her husband and they make beautiful love and a child is born. Or if I grimace at someone and look badly, so maybe that same person would come back in a turn of universe and shatter her husband. Yeah, they the husband with a frying pan, like a Tom and born. Jerry or something, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but no, exactly, it's, yeah. it's interesting because Eric actually says, like, you didn't have to sack that poor girl. Like, you could have been a better person. Eric's not completely sold on the capitalism yet. Oh, and this is very important here. This is about younger and older generations. Eric and Shayla do adapt quickly. They show remorse quickly they they commit mistakes they're still spoiled they're still in the upper class yeah. the made up upper class but they immediately can relate easier so i i think i feel like um the older generation is it reminds me a bit of brexit and mm-hmm. then let's not get too political here but it does remind me of brexit in the sense of the younger generation is more adapting to the change of of society the yeah. change of modes yeah and Gerald, actually, Sheila's fiance, he's, you know, he, his dad is a competitor of Burling's. And really, the only reason Burling wants this marriage is because it'll help his business out. That's really the only thing he cares about. It'll bring yeah. the businesses together. And Gerald's is siding with his, his soon to be father in law the whole time. Like, this is what anyone would have done. And some, as we go through the play, he continues doing that. Sometimes Sheila's even shocked by, by it. Um, yeah. But he continues siding always with his father in law, actually. Um, and of course, they, they think this inspector is impertinent. And how do you spell your name? And, and how long have you been on the force? And do you know that I play golf with the chief constable? Uh, I'd just like to remind you of that before you continue your, your questions. You know? <laughs> and he says, uh, I, I do not. Oh, that, that's funny that moment. And he says, I do not play golf. And then someone says, oh, what a shame. What a pity talking about the girl. And they says, well, no, it's not a shame that I don't play golf. I don't want something to play like something. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's a very funny moment. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, then just he goes, Eric, he says, I don't play golf. He says, I didn't suppose you did. And Eric says, I think this is all a damn shame. And he says, no, I never wanted to play. He says, no, I mean the girl. <laughs> Brilliant. So after Arthur, so he's he's been shown a photograph and it's basically looking like he, you know, he started a chain of events. But then he moves on to the next person, which so he wants everyone in the room and he talks to Shayla. And, and, you know, do you recognize this woman? How would I show you this photo? And he only shows it to her. And then, oh, God, but uh, I can't believe it. And, you know, and everyone is, this is happening to every one of them. But the thing is that she helped uh, this woman being sacked after she got a better job. 
Yeah, clo- so closed an, an important detail is that she struggled to get a job for a long time. Yes, and, but eventually got taken on by a bit of luck by a good department store, and Sheila got her sacked. Exactly, Sheila got her sacked because she thought. Eva was making fun of her dress. So they looked, no, it looked good in Eva. So she tried it on and yeah, but then, but then she tried it on and she thought she saw Eva laughing and complained to the store owner and the store owner had to sack. Yeah. And it's it's made very clear that Sheila now realizes like she wanted to wear some kind of hat. The mother told her it wouldn't suit her. The assistant told her it wouldn't suit her. She wore it anyway. It didn't suit her, but it looked better on the girl and the girl kind of giggled. And so she had her sacked. And they made it very clear that she was, that the employer was perfectly happy with all of her work, but because a high value customer wanted her sacked, she had to be sacked. So Sheila feels bad yeah. about this. Yeah. So for being for being so petty, it's the word. Yeah. But she was. So petty. she, she does. Was did, did she immediately show remorse? And she has a kind of um, um, what's the word? Uh, she has a kind of um, intuition, I suppose, like kind of a foresense of what ha- what's happening. In a sense of the others start thinking that she might be being going a bit crazy, that she hasn't slept enough, a bit high strung. But really, she for she already sees that something perhaps supernatural, something uncontrollable is happening to to them. Whereas she is the very big harping on that. She keeps saying everything's going to come out tonight. You might as well just tell them. Don't put up any walls. He's going to knock them down. She she notices straight With- away. Which leads again to, um, you know, the, the question of free will and uh, determination. So this is, seeing, this is supposedly is a determining factor in Spectre Goo. And that's the way it's portrayed mm-hmm. physically. Yeah. It's kind of like there you can't, you can't go over that wall of a person. Mm-hmm. Like, he shows Sheila this photo, but never mentioned. You know, Sheila never knew the assistant's name. She just knew her to, to see. So he shows her the photo. Uh, next, yes. what he does, though, is he says, now she changed her name to Daisy Rendon. And um, Gerald kind of exclaims. And then he tries to hide it later, but she tells him, look, it's going to come out. So it turns out that Gerald knew a Daisy Renton. Um, But Gerald never sees a photo, though. Yes. That's an important fact. To to cut things a little bit short, basically, Gerald was... I don't want to say he was doing a bit of uh, of business, going around the pubs, trying to pick up women and that kind of thing, I suppose. But, um, well, he says he wasn't trying, but he went to pubs that had you know, lots of loose women in them, essentially. But I do feel bad for Gerald because he initially tried to do a good thing. He takes this lady who says that she's really struggling. Some alderman Jew is is like hitting on her and making unwanted advances and he gets her out of there and tries to help. And of course, Mrs. Mrs. Burling's like, alderman Jew, he would never, never behave like that. And I was like, we all know about this guy, but she's so much into keeping her social pretenses. Yes. Yeah. And then Sheila says, well, my friend only left his office with a torn blouse. And it's like, you kids, like, how could you talk about this kind of thing? And it's like, you're, you're annoyed at her for pointing it out, not at the guy for doing it, you know? But yeah, it's very relevant to play, isn't it? Not much it has changed no. since, since these times. So but, no wonder it's, uh, it, it, this was, this became popular again in the 90s, right? It was unpopular yeah, yeah. for a while. There was a revival. The, no wonder. No wonder. The crux of things is Gerald tries to help the girl, puts her up in a room and, you know, things lead, one thing leads to another and he ends up sleeping with her and kind of making her a mistress. And I think it lasts for that summer that he wasn't with, with Sheila. Yes, but he was courting Sheila and portraying her. He was portraying he was. Sheila. He, Gerald is a bad guy to Sheila, um, but he's not actually a bad guy to 
Eva Smith or Daisy Renton. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. You know, but he does dismiss her because he mentions that at the end, like, well, I had to go for business, so I thought I'd, so I thought I'd just stop the relationship. Come yeah. on, like that. That's really that's not that's nice. But we we get the impression that she was expecting it. It was a summer fling kind of thing. He he helped her only for a few because. Months. But this is called the Rashomon effect. After the uh, the story. Um, Rashomon effect means that it's it's told from a perspective of an audience. So Rashomon is the short story, Japanese short story, where it's mm-hmm. told by the perspective of three uh, three different people how a merger was occurred, and it's very different according to each um, viewer. So this is his story, making him seem not too bad. But if you read between the lines, I thought this is the worst person. So well, he's the worst. Because... Well, I thought he was the best out of all of them, of a bad bunch, but. Yeah, but I mean that. But I'm just thinking that's his perspective. Where he just left her because supposedly she was thankful, and yeah, she. Yeah, I don't know. I just think like, wow, okay, that's that's. At least Sheila and Arthur Arthur didn't really involve and involve themselves in her life, and then kind of cut it. And yeah, yeah, this is worse in like an emotional way. We yes. also dur- during all of this, Act One moves on to Act Two. By the way, uh, very subtly yes. because it's as I say, it is really one continuous act. Um, yeah. So that's that's what happens with Daisy Renton. I'm just double checking the notes real quick to see if there's anything else important. You know, obviously during this, we get a little bit of our, not arguing, but Gerald and Sheila talk a little bit as it kind of comes out that he was having the affair. So there's, you know, a couple of pages talking about that in the, in the middle of it. But The tension between them reminds me of of, of the Norwegians, Bjornsson and uh, Ibsen. There is, a, there is a bit of a Norwegian kind of atmosphere happening here, I find. Or a bit mm-hmm. of a sing thing going on, a bit of a naturalist yeah. kind of and, I'm going to give you this example. The mother comes back in. She had kind of gone for a while. And she comes in and, and she tells Sheila, go to bed. And Sheila says, look, I've got to stay because this girl killed herself and we need to figure it out. And the mother says, it's nothing but morbid curiosity. And Sheila says, no, it's yeah. not. I'm involved. And the mother says, don't contradict me. It's like, you know, but she's actually right. Like she's telling you that she wants to hear this because she's involved. The mother's telling her, I'm telling you that you're experiencing nothing but curiosity and don't contradict me. Like, I hate this lack of giving people agency. You know? <laughs> I mean, it does remind, talk about Titanic, which is set in the same time. I mean, it does remind me a lot of the mother of, um, yeah. you know, the Titanic's woman, uh, Titanic's main protagonist. So, I mean, I find that interesting. So it must be a tense period just between the, the First World War mm-hmm. for these. But it's a similar thing, you know, as it was the Titanic story. It's a woman, basically, who doesn't, she might be a bit higher class than her husband. But, you know, her husband was mayor, seems to be. How good, how well is this business going? He seems to be very eager for Croft to be joining. Yeah, Maybe she's also yeah. trying to really hold on to something. Hold on to things. Um, she asked the inspector to basically back her up in, in telling Sheila to go away. And the inspector says, look, if she goes away, I'm only going to have to bring her back again. And just that, I consider, is a trifle impertinent, inspector. So this is just like the mother's <laughs> whole way of getting on, you know. And, and she never drops that, the whole play. <laughs> and, you know, whereas the Burling family is very much of its time, it's a realist portrayal of its time. Ghoul is very much out of time. And yeah, and the know, man gives you a clue. <laughs> yes, indeed. And Priestley has interesting notions of philosophy of time. He's very obsessed with it, especially in his plays. And we'll get to that right at the end, I want to mention again. But I just wanted to notice that things are sometimes out of time. Mm-hmm. And starting with Inspector Ghoul, just not even talking like the rest of the Burning family. And not at all uh, responding the appropriate way seen at that time it doesn't respond at all they're, they're completely shocked especially Arthur and Sybil by the way 
he's not they, conforming to the rules. They can't believe that he's not playing the game with them. You know, yeah, <laughs> exactly. They, they playing the social it. game. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and you know, they they have this argument where Sheila tries to explain to the mom, "Look, it's all going to come out anyway." And they just they can't understand Sheila's behavior. And they, they Burling says, "Look, I've told you before, I don't like your tone, and I don't propose to give you much more rope." And he says, "You needn't give me any rope." And Sheila says, "No, he's giving us the rope." So that we'll hang ourselves. Just good lines like that peppered yeah. peppered in in amongst it all. Yeah, wow! I can't believe he wrote this in a week. I know, like that's astonishing. Yeah. So we go through the the information and they fill in Mrs. Burling about Gerald, you know, and the alderman, all that kind of stuff. So that all that all happens really throughout Act Two. And I'm just going to skip ahead. What happens at one point, I'm not sure if it's exactly now, but they hear that Eric, who had gone away, now leaves. So they hear the mm-hmm. door go and, and Eric leaves. And after he kind of tells a story, Gerald says that, I, I, you know, I'll go and see if I can find him or I'll, I'll pop out for a bit of fresh air or whatever. Gerald just gets himself out of the, out of the way. But he gives Sheila back her ring. Or he, he, you know, Sheila yes. gives him back the ring, sorry. Yes, exactly. Yes, Sheila gives him back the ring. So it's already, there's a lot of that domestic tension happening. And well, also because um, Gerald also seems to accuse Sheila of like finding pleasure and seeing him telling that story of how he had a, affair and then Shayla is also offended because she oh so that's the way you see me so yeah. it is a bit awkward about uh, you know I think she has every reason to give him back the ring and because it's not a real relate it was never a real relationship it was always lies and assumptions of characters because and this is what I like about the play so uh, Shayla is not just a sport girl she's also that and so is Gerald he's not just as an Eric with the older ones, is a bit more stereotypical. But with the younger generation, is well, it's not everything what you think it is. So, yeah. And this so why I the ju- relationship. I just double check right. the notes. Uh, it's not important, but Gerald goes for a walk first, then uh, then Eric leaves, and they think it's Gerald coming back, and then they realize where is he? The door just went. Oh no, it was Eric going out. Um, but look, we now get on to Mrs. Burling and what happens exactly. with her. And, you know, again, she's going on about damned impudence and gross impertinence and and all this kind of thing. But go ahead. And she's been shown the photo individually and hardly Mm -hmm. reacts. But Shayla immediately says, I know you, mother. You obviously recognize her. So Shayla always gives it away. She kind of wants and she's been uh, afterwards. She's accused of being on the inspector's side. Yeah. And Um, she sort of is a bit, to be honest. She is a bit. Yeah, because she is the young woman. I I think... um, I think Priestley finds perhaps is saying that it's the younger generation that will save the day, especially the younger woman. So there's a feminist vibe going here, even even though Shayla is a sport and she's not a perfect feminist. She's not a feminist at all, but there is a potential for her to become. So we find that um, this girl is now pregnant. Initially, I thought it was Gerald, but it's not. She's pregnant. She goes to charity for help. She doesn't want to accept stolen money. So she turns down her man, goes to charity led by Mrs. Burling. And claims to be called Burling herself, but that turned out to be, I don't know, it's not clear why she said that. And Mrs. Well, Burling thinks it it's impertinent. Yeah. It's all, well, it's it is later. clear later. Yeah, yeah, it's not yet. We'll, we'll get back to that, yeah. So she thinks it's all impertinence, and I can't be having this, and I, I wouldn't help her. And yeah. they, they are initially like, you wouldn't help this poor woman. Like, she came to you, she didn't want to accept stolen money, and they say, all oh, these girls will tell you anything. And there's never any sympathy. <laughs> the, the beauty of the play is that we start off with compassion with each character because at first, especially with Sabre, at first it's just, okay, the woman, Eva came and lied and even used Burling's name. Even I was a bit, well, that was, that was unneeded. 
But every time the inspector breaks down the wall, as Sheila says, we see that there was actually more darkness. So it's not just that she turned her down, but she turned down when she was pregnant. And yeah, then we and, find and next out, emerges she was pregnant. And, and then third step is we find out that, um, well, uh, Eva did tell the truth then the second time. But Sebo said, no, I can't be dealing with someone. This, How do I know if this is not true? So it just breaks down. The character always becomes more nude, more, it worsens. So there, yeah. he does peel, uh, he does peel the onion of the character, the inspector does. But I want to say and two things. What... The first is that the whole time Mrs. Burling says, I did the right thing. She's the only one who staunchly refuses to admit that she even did something mean. You know, Burling probably thinks, well, anyone would have sacked her, but... He sort of accepts a little bit like, maybe I could have been nicer. You know, Mrs. Burling the whole time is just like, I did the right thing. I accept no social responsibility, you know, mm. and that's it. She's the staunchest, mo- least likely to move because she's the most upper class. And she yeah, insists that's that a good point. nothing that's wrong. That's a good point. You know? The, good point, the, higher up your lad- the higher up the social ladder you are, yeah. the less you're going to bend, yeah. And the next crucial point is, she says, you know whose fault, you know, so then emerges the girl was pregnant <laughs> and she still didn't help her. And she's like, yes. I told her, it's all the father's fault. Find the father. You know who he is. He needs to pay. And she's like, well, it's stolen money. And she's like, that's a pack of lies. It's all about the father. Make him responsible. Make the father responsible. And they kind of say, okay, well, inspector, we're done here. And he says, no, I'm waiting. Well, what are you waiting for? It's kind of, then we realize act, act two ends, curtain drops and reopens. And we realize, oh, he's waiting to make the father responsible. And Eric comes back. <laughs> Indeed. And did you know then who no. the father was? Originally? I thought it was Gerald no. still. <laughs> okay, I, I, I kind of thought this was leading up for Eric because I thought, again, this cause and events, well, obviously Eric is going to be involved because I thought, well, why is this guy always drunk? That's it. I mean, there's always a, a yeah, reason. Yeah. And now we so realize I, why I could... she tried to use the Burling name because that's actually the father. Yes. You know, so we realize that. Yeah. Although they don't express the state that, but we figure it out. Well, and it's insinuated that she is just the first thing that came up to her mind. So it might be that she used it because she knew who the father was, or it might literally just be the name that came to her head because maybe Ehrlich wasn't using a surname, but he might have used it once or twice. I see. Yeah. There's also an unconscious element going on. And what's funny is it still takes the mum a long time to realize that it's Eric, you know, and then eventually when it comes out and she's shocked, everyone else has figured it out and she's shocked, you know, she's, she's never, she's so blunt, you know. And, my, my baby boy, yeah. Yeah, and they're saying, but you um, were telling us that we should, it's all the, the, the guy's fault, right? And she's like, but, but I didn't know it was, it was my boy. Like, I didn't know it was you, Eric. Like, and as if that changes things. You know, as yes. if it's, it's this like one law for the aristocracy kind of thing. She's like, it's all the boy's I, fault until it's my boy. <laughs> and But interesting enough, they're very, they're still, they always blame uh, the characters on another family member. So even Shayla, who might be slightly enlightened towards the end she still blames it on someone else and then eric blames on the mom the mom blames it on on, on the father she didn't know it was eric but she kind of blames it on eric arthur yeah. blames it on eric then gerald blames it on on you know no one's on accepting Shayla, the responsibility for themselves yeah. they're all accidentally yeah. blaming each other not knowing that it is gonna be and that's <laughs> and this is a, a representation of society don't forget and yeah. it's very you know chris is very critical of of the 1940s 1950s britain when he's writing so, in I don't like Eric anymore because it turns out that he basically raped the girl. I'm going to, I'm going to state it outright. 
Yeah, uh, at yeah. this time, they might not have seen it as rape, but he says that he was in a state where a chap can turn nasty and he kind of told her that he was going home with her and went into her room and they had sex. And, you know, in those days, they probably wouldn't have necessarily called that rape. But I think today I definitely would. Um, and it then transpires that they could, they met up a couple more, once or twice more, I think. And, and you know, but he, he basically just used her for, for his pleasure. He didn't try to help her in the way that Gerald did. Now, he eventually did offer her money, sure, which he stole from his father's office. Um, but the way it's all initiated is very assaulty to me. <laughs> It is, yeah, and um, it just shows again the language used is very realistic, and yeah, it's always fake. Yeah. So, so then it turns out, yeah, that's it. Basically, it turns out that these chains of events led her to become pregnant, not knowing where to go as a baby, and her committing suicide. So, I mean, it's basically resolved. There's a chain of events, and the inspector gives the most famous speech of the of the play. Um. Which is a very powerful speech, basically. It, it does become it is, there is an element of socialism and, and capitalism involved, and some critics have said Christianity and non-Christianity as well. So there are different elements here. Um, but just looking for that for that quotation again, the inspector says, because I thought it's very relevant, um, and it does become at this point it does become very Dickensian, mm-hmm. Christmas Carol-esque. And uh, hold on a second, where is that part again? Um, well, while while you look for it, I'm going to point out one little thing. Um, my okay, favorite line of the play is when the father's trying to bring up the impertinence and everything, and and eventually the inspector yeah. just shouts. And I remember this being done live. He shouts, "Quit stammering and yammering at me again, man! I've had just about enough of you people." And it's just this massive. Yes, I love it. That's that's powerful. Or what about? But just remember this: uh, one Eva Smith is gone, but there are millions and millions and millions of Eva Smiths and John Smith still left with us with their lives their hopes and fears, their suffering and chance of happiness all intertwined with our lives and what we think and say and do. We don't live alone. We are members of one body. We are responsible for each other. And I tell you that the time would soon come when if man will not learn that lesson, then they will be taught it in fire and bloody and anguish. Good night. Wow. <laughs> and you know what? I don't think they do learn the lesson and because... The dad's more worried about the honors list and he's more worried about the fact that Eric stole from him and that could cause a public scandal and that, you know, he got a girl pregnant and all this kind of stuff. That's really all they care about. And, indeed. So to, to break it down now, so it's just as soon as Spectre goes away, they start disbelieving things. Gerald comes back and says, well, look, I've informed myself there was never an inspector. They call up the police station. No one got murdered. Yeah. And no they, murdered Gerald and comes up no with a theory. Go. And also they realized exactly. they, didn't, they didn't see the same photograph and, you know, that's what they think, didn't yeah. know the name and all this kind of stuff. So they don't learn anything apart from the two kids, especially Sheila and to an extent yes. Eric. The others are just like, well, they, it's a bit of fun then. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, they think, well, well, especially the dad, he becomes that kind of conspiracy. Oh, well, this was just, I, I'm very important. Someone did this to trick me. And he starts acting like the like inspector pointing at them all. Like it was all your fault. And the kids are horrified and he's just learning nothing. Having learned absolutely nothing. We're about to run out of time here. So I'm going to wrap up really quickly with the kind of finale, but they're all basically saying, you know, Oh, we can just forget all about it then. And then the phone exactly. rings and they say, a girl has just swallowed some disinfectant to the infirmary and an inspector is oh. on his way. I love that ending. Again, very Christmas Carol-esque, 
but then at the end there is a time loop going on again that's what i mentioned about the philosophy of time this is the time is cut out so we're kind of this is a groundhog day and yeah i love that but i would reckon you can read this in over just over an hour an hour and a half everyone should read it or should watch it if they get the chance the ending kind of took me by surprise a little bit because it's maybe a little bit less realistic or something you know um yeah but it's it's a moralizing play and i i love it exactly i love it too Thanks for listening, everyone, and make sure to check out Patreon every month, new episodes, and we're going to wish you a very, very sensual day. And just try to be a better person. (laughs) Exactly. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com.